0: the lord be with you and with uh, father we do thank you for um uh, giving us uh clergy for giving us holy orders and bishops and deacons um, we thank you for um putting us in uh our various vocations as they are and we look forward to going through the articles um, that relate to these things in jesus name we pray Amen. Okay, so a little bit um, backing up to what we talked about last week. We, we mentioned that we talked about the Book of Homilies and we talked about the Ordinal. Um, I mentioned that I should have brought my, my stuff with me. Here is a um, uh, um, Regent College up in, I think this is the one up in Vancouver, does republish um, a 19th century Um, version of the articles with a lot of annotations that's the one that I have, all the spellings are modern um, though the um, syntax isn't but I mean we're we're talking, we don't have U's that look like V's and stuff like that a lot of the ones you find online will be like that and then here is Gerald Bray's book that I mentioned last, last week, A Fruitful Exhortation A Guide to the Homilies Bray also did do his own edition, really scholarly annotated edition of the homilies and he also included um, a third book, which was published during the time of Mary Tudor, which was a counter-Reformational set of homilies that Archbishop, uh, gosh, which one was that? Might have been Parker. I don't remember. Whichever the Archbishop of Canterbury under Mary was had published um, it did not get much traction on account of the fact that her reign was only five years, and um, all that stuff got, got got done away with. So, at any rate, the, these are here. If you want to, if you want to. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it around if y'all want to take a look. Um, starting over with Bob here. Uh, if, if you wanted to come through while we're talking about the other stuff. Um, yeah. So that is the the book of homilies, the edition that I have, and also um, Gerald Bray's short little guide to the homilies. Bray is a Bray is a heck of a scholar. Very very much on the evangelical end of things, but um, I, I really enjoy his stuff. Okay. The other thing we talked about last week was the ordinal, and we kind of got into the weeds about various authority issues within the, the church structure of, of, uh, of Anglicanism, the Anglican Communion, and that sort of thing, um, and we kind of... Didn't really talk about the whole point of the article itself. (laughs) So let's uh, let's back up just a little bit and and briefly touch upon upon some of what's going on here in article number 36. If you if you um, have your prayer books, it's on page 610. You can get a prayer book from the shelf if you need one. Article 36 of the consecration of bishops and ministers, the book of consecration of bishops and ordering of priests and deacons. As set forth by general convention of this church in 1792, doth contain all things necessary to such consecration and ordering, neither hath it anything that of itself is superstitious and ungodly. And therefore, whomsoever are consecrated or ordered according to the said forms, we decree that all such to be rightly, orderly, and lawfully consecrated and ordered. And we talked about how the um, uh, Article 36 in the in the English version, it's a little bit different, but mostly that's because it's referring to the 15 whatever ordinal that is included still in the in the prayer book. The biggest difference between our American ordinal of 1792 and that English one is that in the English ordinal there is a required oath of allegiance to the king, um, because be or the queen, as is the case now, because being a state church um the 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 queen slash king when there is a king does have temporal authority over church not spiritual authority but temporal authority and because it's a state church the bishops are part of the house of lords right they're part of the um not all the bishops many of the bishops are in the house of lords um they 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 are part of the civil government as well as the um the ecclesiastical government um, have any of y'all? I know, I know, I know. Mary has um, read Anthony Trollope's Barchester Chronicles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Any of those? You you know those, Bob? Um, Trollope, they're 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 great. They deal with a lot of ecclesiastical stuff going on in the nineteenth century, mid nineteenth century. Um, they're just fun novels. I I put them on par with Jane Austen myself um, in terms of his value to English English literature. But Trollope has it's really funny. He has great insight into kind of church politics not because he was ever involved in church politics, but because he was a civil servant. And so he, so he knows how English civil service works. And throw on the spiritual veneer, there's a lot of English civil service um, mentality going on in church politics in those days and to this day. Uh, Arnold? Yes, uh, can you give a couple of
1: examples of temporal authority
0: um... Sure. Um, so uh, well, one example of this is that the queen has to ratify um, the election of bishops. So the Senate the 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 diocese will elect their bishop. The House of Bishops will approve it, but without final appro- approval of the Queen, it doesn't it doesn't go through. So she has that final approval. Now she never vetoes that, right? I mean, but but that's that's one of the and back in the day there was more. There was more of that than there is today, but that's, that's an example. Um, the queen and parliament have to approve um, new prayer book adaptations. Um, when it comes to issues of, of financing the church, when it comes to issues of um, uh, educating criminal or, or civil offenses Within the clergy, that is something that the that Parliament in the name of the Queen has to deal with, or the civil government in the name of the Queen, and the Queen being the head of the government, um, ultimately it's all done in her name, even if she's not directly dealing with it. So, in when you're when you're in a monarchy, you are not a citizen; you're a subject, right? Now, in a constitutional monarchy, the way it is in England, there's it's it's a little bit fuzzy, but technically that's that's the way things are, and so. Um, there's not a lot of practical ways today that the queen would exercise a lot of that civil power. But when you look at the history from the time of Edward on, that is something you do see. The homilies were approved, the first book by King Edward, the second book by Queen Elizabeth, for example. Bob? One of the things about the
1: Barchester thing mm-hmm. that, uh, that struck me, and I, I just spot read was the authority of the bishops to withhold... South stipends, or pensions from the clergy. Right. And, um, and also, well, the clergy also would get little, little beneficences, you know, for being a chapel to a hospital or to do, to, to, in other words, to augment their income. Right. But today, the law of England is that they can't touch your pension.
0: Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's one of those things that changes yeah. with the different ways the government over there works. Um, but but we do see, you know, kind of in, in that, the, the authority of the bishop there, um, you know, we had, we had, an, and this is a little bit of behind the curtains, but we had an email go out to um, all the clergy in our diocese just, just a week or two ago where, um, you know, we have all agreed to, to um, contribute to the diocese. You know, we, we, you know the tithe is not tithing to the diocese for a parish is not optional in our diocese. And that's not something that the bishop mandated. That's something that the synod agreed to years ago, unanimously. But there's a bunch of of churches in the diocese that aren't doing that. And the bishop said, okay, we're going to have to start, if you're you're not doing what you agreed to do, um, and, I mean, certainly if there's financial troubles, you know, contact us, we can work something out. But if you're just not, billing up to the bar, um, if, if you're a canon or an archdeacon, you're going to lose your preferment. You know, um, some of you may be removed from being a rector, you know, because as the pastor, you're, you, you have a responsibility to guide your church in this regards. Unfortunately, that's never been an issue here at All Saints. We've always been, um, that's like way, way before my time that was always a priority for the vestry. You know, that's, it's not something we deal with. But that's an example of the same, you know, similar thing, but a different situation. Right. Okay, um, the other issue going on with the ordinal is that it's answering objections that are coming from the Roman Catholics at the time, um, gets intensified later on in the 19th century with apostolic cure, a papal bull, declaring our orders null and void, that sort of thing. And um, part of the, the reasoning that the Roman church had against Anglican orders was that, well, your ordinal is deficient. You're not saying that the priest is ordained to sacrifice the mass, and therefore it's, he's not a real priest. He's not a real clergyman. Um, to which our scholars said, okay, you're, you're importing new doctrine into this, You know, relatively new doctrine, as we've talked about in the in the articles already, and if you look at your own historic ordinals in the past, they didn't always have that. <laughs> you know, you're, you're you're just looking for an excuse here, mm-hmm. and and pretty much most most um, honest, um, even in the Roman Catholic and uh, canon lawyers, will look back and say apostole cure was politics. It wasn't actual. It wasn't doctrine. They were doing politics. Because what what also want was the church trying, the Catholic Church trying to do at that time reestablish a beachhead in England. There were no Roman Catholic churches until the nineteenth century, from the Reformation till the nineteenth century in England. They were beginning they, the, the 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 Parliament was considering allowing um, Catholic churches to 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 be there again, and so that was part of why. Okay, if if Anglican orders are valid why would our people move to a new church if we established new churches, right? It's not that there weren't Roman Catholics, there just weren't Roman Catholic churches. So it's, it's a, so that's part of what's going on with this as well as answering that objection that there's nothing in the ordinal that would be invalid. Matter of fact, everything necessary is there. Our priests and, and bishops and deacons are indeed valid priests, bishops and deacons. Okay, anything, any more on that? We can move on to article number 37 unless there's any more on the ordinal. Incidentally, when the ACNA was doing their, their liturgical revision that came to the 2019, the very first thing they wanted to do was get the ordinal in, in place. Um, even before getting the communion liturgy in place, the ordinal was the first thing that was finalized. Um, yeah. I, I, don't think that's, that's, I don't think it was finalized by the time I was ordained, because I was ordained in an ACNA parish. Um, but, uh, at any rate, okay, let's pick up on 37 then the power of civil magistrates. And this touches on some of that, that issue with the queen's authority and that sort of deal. Um, And this is probably one that might be a little bit different in, in the 2019 as well, Bob. Okay, number 37. The power of civil magistrates extendeth to all men as well clergy and as laity in all things temporal, but hath no authority in things purely spiritual. And we hold it to be the duty of all men who are professors of the gospel to pay respectful obedience to the civil authority regularly and legitimately constituted. So in other words, just because you're clergy doesn't mean you're above the law. You know, that, that's kind of at the core issue of um, the debate in, in, in the Thomas Becket story between Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Becket, and Henry II. There's some nuances there that we could go into, but the main core issue is, um, does the king have the authority to prosecute these ministers, or is that something that the church courts have to deal with? Um, at the Reformation, we side clearly with um, Henry II on the issue. What, what's what's different in this in the in the 2019 for this one, Bob? Well, talks about the King's Majesty.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> what we have here, you know, I mean, the changes are at the back of the book, and what you read, of course, is it. Right. But here it says the King's Majesty hath the chief power in the realm and over his dominion and so on. But then it goes down, we, they tribute to the chief government the titles and all that. But what's interesting is the Bishop of Rome hath no jurisdiction in this realm of England. Yeah. That's yeah. one. The next one is that it says clearly the laws of the realm may punish Christian men by death for egregious crimes. And then um, mm-hmm. it's lawful for Christian men at the Commandant of the Map to wear weapons and to serve the wars. So it's a little more involved than.
0: Right, right. And that and, and again, part of that is because at the time in the, in the 16th century, when the articles are originally being done, part of what's going on is that the pope is claiming universal authority throughout the church. And, 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 and you do have in the time of Queen Elizabeth, for example, um, the pope basically declaring it um, OK to assassinate the Queen of England, you know, and so um, that that's a big issue um, by the time we get to eighteenth century America or nineteenth century i guess eighteen o one early nineteenth century America, a lot of those issues aren't really issues but but um yeah the, the main the main thing is is that the church is not above the civil law um, regularly and legitimately constituted. There are times, of course when um, Proper civil disobedience would be necessary, right? I mean, we we've talked about some of those issues already um, in, in this class. Um, yeah, so so it's and, and there are ways to do that within within the law as well. So um, that's that's number number thirty seven. Um, but also, but notice though that both in the article as as it is originally in the sixteenth century version, as well as our American American one. The civil government is not given authority over spiritual issues. You, know, you can't have the king, or parliament, or the governor of Texas, or the legislature come in and um, order around the way the church is done. They can't come in and claim the pulpit because they're the, um, the you know they, they have that civil authority. You know that's the the pulpit does not belong to them. You know, for example. So um, so that's, 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 that's where that goes. One, one of the things going on at the time of the Reformation is you do have some places where um, they are declaring, this is more of kind of the radical Reformation, the Anabaptist groups are basically saying they're, that um, Christians cannot fight in war, um, that civil government is illegitimate, and that basically they're wanting to set up little theocracies Um that are pacifistic. Those never worked out, right? They they always they always fell. They always fell. One of the things that um that our reformers do get from um following Martin Luther's example is this understanding of there being um two kingdoms that 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 here and now exist at the same time. There is the um, the right hand kingdom, which is which is purely spiritual, the, the kingdom of God. There's also a left hand kingdom, which is the civil sphere. Both of which are completely legitimate because God does set up the civil sphere. However, their authority, their various authorities, are separated. The church doesn't have the authority to send anybody to jail, and never 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 should have. Right? Um, the uh, and and we do see throughout church history certain times when the church has grabbed temporal authority that it shouldn't have and when the when the civil government has grabbed spiritual authority that it shouldn't have um so we do maintain um a certain separation of powers there um okay any 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 questions on number 37 we may finish up with the articles today and then just take a break from uh Sunday school until uh till the new year we might do that we'll see alright let's hit 38 then of Christian men's good which are not common the riches and goods of Christians are not common as touching right title and possession of the same as certain Anabaptists do falsely boast notwithstanding every man ought of such things as as he possesseth liberally to give alms to the poor according to his ability Um, some of those Anabaptist groups were also trying to be um, completely communal societies um where where there was no private property, everything was owned by the collective. Um, today we would call that that communism, although in, in, in and you see in, in you know modern modern communal attempts how bad that always goes, right? You always end up with uh, uh, the uh, what was what was it in um, in uh, Animal Farm? Um, some animals are, are are more equal than others, you know that sort of thing, and that, that's how that's how that always ends up going. Uh, And so that that is not um, so. So we do come against that private property is permissible scripturally. It is permissible in our in our in our tradition. Um, You know, Acts chapter, the first chapters of Acts where they did hold all things in common. How long does that last? About five chapters. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Right. And even and even we see in, in Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira when they come to, oh yeah, we sold, we sold this land. We sold everything so that we could give it to, to the apostles for distribution, but they were lying about it. And, um, the Holy spirit kills them, not because they were withholding, but because they were lying. Right. I mean, cause St. Peter says specifically, it was yours to do with what you want. You didn't have to lie about it. And so, so even though we do see um, a certain amount of communal living in the beginning of Acts, it's not compulsory, um, it's not universal, and it doesn't last very long. Um, you do see certain um, kind of in more monastic circles, um, sometimes even in kind of Protestant monasticism. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had done some communities like this, or he was attempting to. Francis Schaeffer did some of that in in, in, the, in previous generations as well, where there is kind of more of a communal ownership, but it's a very small sort of thing. It's more like they're volunteering to be a a family rather than it being like what what we see described here. So the the point being, though, private possession is not is not against scripture. It's not it's not ungodly. That said. Every Christian ought to be generous with what he has, right? We ought to take care of the poor amongst us. We ought to, we ought to um, hold our goods with a, with a, with a loose, loose grip. Uh, questions about number 38. Okay. 39 of a Christian man's oath. As we confess that vain and rash swearing is forbidden Christian men by our Lord Jesus Christ and James, his apostle, so we judge that Christian religion doth not prohibit, but that a man may swear when the magistrate requireth in a cause of faith and charity, so it be done according to the prophet's teaching and justice, judgment, and truth. So again, we're dealing with some of those Reformation era controversies with the Anabaptists. Um, they would say swearing before the judge to tell the whole truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is against um, uh, the, the command not to swear. And what what, what we're saying is, no, when, when the civil authority requires it, it is not ungodly to, 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 to take an oath. Um, and, the, and, and the point of Jesus' teaching is that your yes and no ought to be as good as if you're taking a, an oath. There shouldn't be one standard if you're taking an oath and one standard if you're just saying yes or no. There should be, our integrity should be such that that it's always at that level of an oath. Um, I think one of the homilies um, addresses this um, in particular, but uh, that's, 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 that's the 39th of the 39 articles. Um, as as you'll see, as you've seen, the articles do start really theological, and they end up getting very, very at the end. They're very, very um, practical and and, and and temporal. And but but that's that's largely because of the issues that we're facing the church in those days, and um, and and continue to. Um. So uh, yeah, that's that, that's that's the way that goes. The last few articles tend to tend not to be quite as exciting as the as the previous ones. Uh, questions, comments on article number 39? That's pretty straightforward. I know in reading about my ancestry,
1: I had an ancestor in the 1700s in North Carolina who was actually sent as a delegate to the Constitutional Convention when North Carolina was becoming one of the original, you know. Anyway, then he got there, but they wanted him to take the oath, and he paper. Uh, yeah. was a good yeah.
0: And Quakers are are part of that, that that Anabaptist group, yeah and and you know and we've talked about this before, the Anabaptists were not quite they were not monolithic um, you know the, the Quakers, the Mennonites, um, there was some stuff that we would certainly disagree with like that, like their strict pacifism, um, but you know their kind of approach to ecclesiology we would certainly have problems with, but they're not holding anything in terms of um, doctrine that's really. Particularly weird, it's all pretty straightforward. Um, it's more ecclesiology that's the issue at the time of the Reformation, there were some really weird stuff going on with some Anabaptists um, reviving ancient heresies that we thought were long dead, <laughs> um, you know stuff like that. Uh, so yeah that's, that's that's very interesting though yeah, and, and I, I remember um, uh, some friends of mine were, were were ministering up in Canada and the church they were with. Um, had been Mennonite, but they had recently kind of gone non-denominational, and there was a lot of some of these issues that the articles touch on that they were wrestling with, kind of figuring out, okay, where, you know, and what, what does the scripture say versus what we've been kind of always done in our Mennonite past, and uh, it, it was a little rocky for them with, with some of that stuff. All right, Um and we'll we'll just spend the last the last few minutes talking about the status of the articles. Um, these days, in general, the art, most most of Anglicanism sees the articles as little more than a historical um, bit of historical interest, rather than kind of being confessionally binding the way that Westminster would be for a lot of Presbyterians, or the um, Book of Concord would be to Lutherans. Um, historically. You could certainly make the argument that it didn't have the same confessional status as those sorts of things. However, um, it, it was really until 150 years ago um, to be a minister in the Church of England, you had to um, swear, swear to uphold the articles. Um, to go to Cambridge or to even be a student at Cambridge, Oxford or some of those other colleges, you had to do the same. Um, in the American church, um, we, and again, until about 150 years ago, it was just assumed that this is what we all believe. We didn't really have the same kind of oaths of allegiance to it the way that they did in England. Part of that's not being a state church. But if you read all of our canons, it's assumed this is, this is the way we do things. Um, really where that changes is um, with Henry Newman's, um, John Henry Newman's Track 90, which, which really did violence to the article. Uh, the articles, and then the liberals kind of sneak in after that. Um, ACNA has it as documentary foundation, so it's it's a bit stronger than the uh, Episcopal Church's historic document sort of thing. It is foundational. It is important. Um, kind of the way they're interpreted is a little loose sometimes, depending on where you are in the ACNA. Um, in, in GAFCON, they take a pretty strong stance, pro-articles, Nigeria tends to as well. Um, And, and basically the way our Bishop looks at it is um, insofar as they are agreeable to scripture, this is, this is, this is the way we do things. And um, just remembering that they are not at the status of scripture. You know, that's basically his, you know, they are a secondary, a secondary status. Don't, don't, um, don't think that they came down from Sinai because there's a lot of stuff that are very much particular for their time and their and their issue um i i I certainly do um, you know with, with with reasonable interpretation uh do do uphold the articles and we we do we do uphold them here in in the parish um again with with reasonable interpretation you know the, the one of the examples is um our reservation of the sacrament is not for the purpose of worship. So it's not, you know, it's not for the purposes of doing the way the Roman Catholics do it. It's we're not going to do Eucharistic adoration here. So it's not against the spirit of the article, um, that, that sort of thing. Um, uh, But that's, that's basically where we go with that. Okay. Any, any, any last, last questions, comments, or we can get out of here about five minutes early. All right, well, we are going to then, um, and I guess we should probably make note of this for the Bulletin the next, next couple of weeks, Lily. We're going to be just during the, the Sunday school hour, just kind of have it open for fellowship um, until after the new year. Um, and I believe we might have um, uh, John Matt going through Job, I think. is I think that's what we were talking about, um, leading us for a few weeks through Job after the new year. So uh, we will, uh, we'll get back to you all on that, though. God bless. I'll see you all in Mass or uh, Wednesday.